Hello comrades and welcome back to Marxist Voice, the podcast of the IMT in Britain. So two weekends ago, we held our revolution festival, the School of Communism, at which there were a thousand communists from across Britain and across the world in attendance. Comrades took part in over 35 discussions covering communist theory, revolutionary history and current events as well. This event was a real landmark in the building of the forces of communism in Britain. But if you missed out on your chance to go along to Revolution Festival, then not to worry. We're going to be publishing a selection of those talks every single week on the Marxist Voice podcast. So this week we're going to kick things off with the talk that was given on the Saturday evening by Rob Sewell on building the forces of communism in Britain. In this talk, Rob outlines the perspectives for British capitalism, the tasks of communists, as well as a few exciting announcements about our work here in the IMT in Britain. So with all that said, let's get started with this week's episode of Marxist Voice, the podcast of the IMT in Britain. Well, comrades, I must say I've, uh, I've never been so uh, confident, never been more proud, and never been more excited as I am today, given the success of our international everywhere and the reports given by the comrades were outstanding of the progress that we've made over the last months i mean nothing succeeds like success i would say and we are on the road to success there's no two ways about that when you have the comrades from canada announcing that they're going to be the biggest force in canada comes in the united states Comes in Switzerland, for God's sake. <laughs> ah, the land of the cuckoo clock and Toblerone. <laughs> but now the proletarian revolution and communism. <laughs> well, comrades, we are, we are meeting at a uh, crucial time for the working class. We are on a, a cusp of great events that are going to take place in Britain and internationally, which are going to put all organizations to the test, including our own. It reminds me of the, the words of Trotsky who said, those who are looking for a quiet life have chosen the wrong time in which to be born. And what was correct then is correct today. The world is, everywhere you look, is a, is a blaze. There's a crisis in all corners, at all levels. Political crisis, social crisis, economic, military, you name it. We see the unfolding catastrophe in Gaza and the, and the Middle East. The latest horror in a series of horrors produced by capitalism on a world stage. We see that the cause of Palestine has literally touched the hearts of millions. The cause of Palestine has become a catalyst, I would say, 
for the pent-up anger and frustration and bitterness that has accumulated over years and even decades. The fact that hundreds of thousands of millions of people have turned out on the streets to protest against the crimes of imperialism and the actions of their own government. It's a harbinger of what is to come. It's a glimpse of the mass movements that confront us in the years that lie ahead. And the ruling classes worried and, and concerned about this development and therefore was prepared to, or attempting to clamp down on these demonstrations. But every time they do so, it leads to bigger and more determined demonstrations, which shows the, the pent-up anger that is there, the determination that is being agendered by these movements. Of course, there we are meeting now, but a few weeks ago there was a, another gathering that took place, different from what we have today. A gathering in Saudi Arabia of Davos, a meeting of the super rich, of the bankers, of the industrialists, of the strategists of capital who wanted to assess the world situation and the enormous instability that exists. And they were very alarmed by what was going on, particularly in the Middle East. Because they realized if this spills over into a regional conflict, it'll have massive international repercussions. And they're not incorrect. Recall that in 1973, when there was a conflict in the Middle East, it resulted in the quadrupling of oil prices and resulted in a simultaneous slump throughout the world. They terrified that this could happen again with all, all the consequences with it. As one official said, the Gaza war is a terrible humanitarian crisis that needs addressing. He went on, but in the final analysis, it's just another shock. And he went on to conclude, we've had wave upon wave of shocks, which is crashing over the world economy. And that's the whole point. The capitalism is experiencing one shock after another in rapid succession. This is an epoch of enormous instability for capitalism at all levels, punctuated by wars, economic crisis, slump, devastation. As has been explained yesterday by Alan and quoted elsewhere, quoting Lenin, that capitalism is horror without end. And the world we exist in is proof of that. War and conflict are a product of capitalism and imperialism. It's part of the DNA of capitalism. It cannot be any other way. And those who call for peace, very sincere people, 
don't understand and need to be told that capitalism itself is the, production, is the, is the producer of these conflicts. Unless we overthrow capitalism, then they will always exist. In fact, we've had conflicts every day since World War II in one area of the globe or another. There has no been peace, as they say it. And that is the nature of capitalism. And that we explain the only way out is the overthrow of this system through the socialist revolution. Of course, there are those who say, well, you know, this is a daunting task. And we can agree, it's a hard task. It'll create, it, it means enormous sacrifice, you know, to throw a, a system that's been in existence for 300 years. But it's certainly not impossible. And we are certainly against those who say that socialist revolution is utopian or impossible. On the contrary, it's inevitable, whether we are here or not. These skeptics, which I believe are also found largely on the left, who have no confidence in the working class, they do not see that the working class internationally is stronger now than at ever to any time in its history. In other words, the, the grave diggers of capitalism are stronger now than ever before. Obviously, they're not conscious of it yet, but it's events, 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 which changes their consciousness and forces them on the road to revolution itself. Clearly, we are able to understand this because of the ideas that we have. The ideas of Marxism, which gives us a scientific explanation of the movement of capitalism, the movement of classes, how revolution develops, how consciousness develops, the role of leadership. This allows us to see what is really happening in front of us. Whereas those, the skeptics, they look around and they clutch their heads. They don't understand what's going on. They fail to understand and appreciate what is happening are symptoms of the death agony of capitalism itself. And that revolution is not caused by revolutionaries. Revolution is produced by the capitalist system itself, the contradictions of capitalism. It creates the objective basis for revolution through, by the contradictions forcing the working class onto the road of fundamental change. And whether we are here or not, revolutions will take place. The point is, for us as revolutionaries, is to ensure that they are successful revolutions. That is the point. That the working class doesn't squander the enormous energy it has in trying to change society. Capitalism, as we can see, is any complete blind alley. It is no way out. It is like a gigantic pressure cooker with a fire raging underneath and the pressure building up. And there's no safety valves. Eventually we know this will explode. And that's the type of pressures 
developing within capitalism. It won't be one explosion, but a whole series of, of revolutionary explosions uh, throughout the world itself. And whereas we understand that the historical justification for capitalism, because it was progressive in its day, has now ended. It has created the productive forces on the world scale of technique, of industry, of science. It has created the world market. But it's conjured up those forces it cannot control, it cannot use. It's reached its limits. Only the reorganization of society on communist lines can this potential be brought into fruition. But under capitalism, it's impossible. It's had its day. Of course, the capitalists will try to get out of these contradictions. They always do. They always try. But every time they do, they create bigger contradictions down the road. So this, in other words, they come into the end of the road, if you like, in attempting to patch up the capitalist system. And we understand the only way out for the working class is the socialist revolution. And that is why we have organized this event this weekend, this school of communism. And we should take to heart the, the, the words, the great words of the philosopher Spinoza. Ours is not to weep, to cry, or to laugh. Ours is to learn and to understand. And that's what we have to do. We have to learn about the mechanics of revolution. We have to understand the fundamental ideas of Marxism in order for us to understand the world and our role in it. Of course, we do not treat Marxism as a dogma. Neither did Marx or Engels or Lenin. They saw it as a guide to action. It is our guide to analyzing the past revolutions, those who have been defeated, to learn the lessons of those defeats so that we do not make the same mistakes in the future. Of course, the fundamental lesson, as we know, is that it's a crisis of leadership. If it wasn't for the reformists and the Stalinists who have led the, the movement down a blind alley, the workers would have been in power a long time ago. But capitalism will not fall of its own volition. It has to be overthrown. And that's why we require a leadership, a party that's prepared to go to the end. But what does the, the future hold for us? That is the key question. And we have to understand that in its context. The, for us, the greatest event in the whole of history was the Russian Revolution of 1917. Why? Because for the first time ever, the working class came to power and held it. It showed you could have a society run without capitalists and landlords and bankers. It showed in practice what could be done. Of course, the perspective of the Bolshevik party was that you weren't going to Establish socialism or communism in the backward conditions of Russia, that was impossible. And therefore, their perspective 
was it would be the beginning of the world revolution. It was just the, the start, the starting point. And without world revolution, the revolution would not succeed in Russia. That's why they built the Communist International in 1919 to prepare the ground for the world revolution. But unfortunately, as we know, revolutions took place, yes. But they were defeated and betrayed either by the social democrats or the inexperience of the communist movement. And as a consequence, you had the isolation of the Russian revolution under terrible backward conditions of imperialist intervention and so on that led to its degeneration. And you had the rise of Stalinism, which in turn became an obstacle to world revolution, another barrier. Of course, in the West, you had the crisis of capitalism, the Wall Street crash, for instance, and the Great Depression that followed, the mass unemployment, the degradation. You had the rise of fascism in Germany, in Italy, in Spain. Of course, even within this period, you had revolutionary movements. The Spanish Revolution, particularly of 1936, showed what was possible. But it also led to a defeat because the leadership was in the hands of the Stalinists who betrayed the revolution. And it was these defeats in the 1930s which led to the Second World War and the death of 50 million workers. But, but the war itself gave rise to a revolutionary wave in 1944-1945. Particularly in France and Italy where the workers could have taken power. But once again, the leadership betrayed the movement, the Social Democrats and the Stalinists. And that was the political prerequisite for the recovery of capitalism at that time. They were responsible. And American imperialism, one of the victors of the Second World War, was able to come in and impose its solution on the rest of the capitalist world. Imposing the dollar, imposing the IMF, reducing the tariff barriers, allowing capitalism to breathe a bit. And it gave capitalism, yes, a new lease of life, which resulted in an upswing in the 1950s and 60s. And capitalism, for the, for the last time in its history, under the pressure of the working class, was able to give certain reforms, big reforms really, the health service in Britain, council housing, you name it. You know, these were genuine reforms, won by the working class. But it also gave rise to the idea of reformism, particularly of the right-wing variety. You said, yes, see, capitalism has changed. We've solved all the problems. We can control capitalism. Everybody's going to become middle class. There's going to be a classless society. And the problem, but let's be clear, it looked on the surface as this was actually being accomplished. And we were told, obviously, Marxism was out of date, revolution was out of date. And we said, no, on the contrary, that over a period of time, capitalism, the contradictions will re-emerge. And therefore, there will be a further 
period of economic crisis. And of course, that's exactly what happened in 1974. You had the first simultaneous crisis of capitalism. The ruling class was, was forced to abandon Keynesianism, the great God, and introduce the policies they had in the 1930s, monetarism, you know, balanced budgets, and they attacked the working class because capitalism then could not afford the reforms it granted previously. It opened up the period from reforms to counter-reforms and attacks on the working class. You had the boom and slump cycle emerging again. Mass unemployment began to emerge. That's what the real characteristics of capitalism. The only thing is that they had a, a certain, again, lease of life. In the 1990s, the fall of the Soviet Union, the opening up of China to capitalism, this idea of so-called globalization, basically an intensification of world trade. They were able then to have a bit of a breathing space. But within the breathing space, because of the rottenness of capitalism, they reverted to speculation. Colossal amount of speculation was, was in, in that particular period. In America, the subprime mortgages were, were born. They, they invented all kinds of financial wizardry, derivatives, making money from money without production. As if you could do that. In other words, fictitious capital was created, which led eventually triggered a new slump in 2008, 2009, the biggest crisis of capitalism in its history. And the ruling class was terrified that that would lead to another depression as in the 1930s, they were sliding towards it. And the only way they could get out of it was spend trillions of dollars to bail out the banks and capitalism that are lower interest rates as never before. In other words, they had to do things they'd never dreamed of before to save the system. And as a consequence, it had a period, this, because this had consequences, 10, 15 years of austerity developed in all the major capitalist countries, attacks on the working class, lowering living standards. And that led to an insta a political instability, a social instability everywhere as this consequence came came about, and we can see that in relation even to Britain, sleepy old Britain, how that changed from the most stable country in Western Europe to becoming one of perhaps the most unstable countries. What do we have in the last seven years? The rise of Scottish independence, the collapse of, of the Labour Party in Scotland, Brexit, the self-harm for, for British capitalism. The rise of Corbyn, unknown, the Labour Party, the ruling class losing control over the Labour Party. My God, temporarily at least. And then the rise of Boris Johnson and all the rest of it, the ruling class lose control over the Tory Party. Just like in America, same process happening in these different countries. In, you know, in, 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 in Greece, in, in Spain, of, of Podemos, Syriza, in the United States, Bernie Sanders, and also Trump is, that's all part of this, this enormous uh, churning up, if you like, and crisis within society. Never happened before. This is the reason underlying this is the crisis of capitalism itself. In other words, as Trotsky said, 
you know, the ruling class are tobogganing towards disaster with their eyes closed. And then we had the slump in 2020, 2021, combined with the pandemic, another catastrophe. And then once again, they had to bail capitalism out. Trillions of dollars being poured into the capitalist system to hold it up. It was all, it was on, you know, uh, basically support. State support is holding it together. That's all. Life support in that sense. Of course, they didn't have the money. It's all built on debt. So you've got mountains and mountains and mountains of debt created everywhere. The world level of debt, 350% of world GDP is debt. God, and this is, according to the IMF, is unsustainable. But on the other hand, it said they can't do nothing about it because taking it away will have big political and social consequences. So they're stuck in this vice at the present moment. And of course, uh, the problem is, if or when there's another downturn, they run out the road. And it's not me saying it. It's the ruling class who's saying it. I've got your quote from the chief economist of the International Monetary Fund, who said, we finished. This is what he said. His name is Pierre-Olivier Gourandias. And he says, I don't think they can do it again. That is bailout capitalism. We don't have an insurance policy anymore. There's no protection. And lastly, we are at the edge. Well, the edge of what? The edge of an almighty catastrophe facing capitalism. If there's another crisis and they can't bail it out, then all bets are off as far as they're concerned. That's the ruling class talking, not the Marxists. It gives you an idea what the future holds. Enormous instability, politically, socially, you name it. And the danger of hanging over capitalism of a further crisis and a depression. What is this going to mean for consciousness amongst the working class, amongst the middle classes, amongst the youth? If they're radicalized today, what the hell are they going to be like under those conditions? In other words, we're heading for an unprecedented period of turmoil where layers of workers and youth are going to draw revolutionary and radical ideas. Precisely, this is the perspective that's opening up before us. Of course, you can say it's not a straight line. It's true. There will be defeats. There will be victories, yes, but there will be many defeats, given the fact that the Labour and Trade Union leaders are reformists. That would be inevitable. But in that process are the shocks. In that process are the events which change people's outlook, change people's views on what is happening and how quick it's happening. Look at look what happened in Britain a few weeks ago, where Starmer, our great reactionary leader of the Labour Party, Sir Starmer, sorry, comes forward and says, yes, we must blockade, justifies the blockading of Gaza, cut off the water, cut off the, uh, the, uh, the, the power, created enormous opposition, particularly in the Muslim areas, Overnight, like it was one uh, survey conducted of 30,000 Muslims within that period. Bear in mind, in 2019, uh, the Muslim vote for Labour was 71%. 
If there's a general election tomorrow, it's going to, it'll go down 5%. That's an enormous change in a matter of days, man. And that's because of the events themselves. And that's going to affect us generally, the youth and others. Of course, it also augurs what's a Starmer government going to be like. I tell you, all hell will be popping under a Starmer government because they'll try and carry out the policies of the Tories at the present uh, moment. So we, and many people can see through the lies of the, of the, of the press, of the, of the MPs, of parliamentary democracy. Even now, they can see through it. Much more they will see through it as we move down into this deeper crisis. We all, therefore, we have all these elements coming together, producing a pre-revolutionary crisis in society. We have elements there now. In other words, this is the storm we're entering. This is the period that we're entering. I think, as Ali explained yesterday, quote in Trotsky, inherent in reformism is betrayal. That's the lesson. Well, we can see it from the right wing, right reformists and Starmer, they're out and out agents of the ruling class. You can see it quite clearly. There's not two ifs or buts about that. But the left, they are in the same boat insofar as they maintain there's no other alternative but capitalism in reality. They think they can reform capitalism, make it better, make it nicer, make it sweeter for the working class. They have these illusions. So when the working class tries to move and change society, which, where, what they be trying to do? Hold it back. It can't be done. Let's be realistic. Let's not be utopian, comrades. That'll be their, their view. And all they come forward is what? Tax the rich. So the last week, you know, oh, we should tax the rich and take the money and put it back in the economy and make the economy grow. So they want to tax the rich to give it to the capitalist economy so the capitalist economy can grow. That's the logic of these, their argument. Because they have not, don't get me wrong, uh, I, I, instead of that, we should expropriate the rich. That's the whole point about it. But these people are tinkering, tinkering around the edges all the time, looking for a way out, as if, you know, capitalism can, can be tamed into a nice sweet thing. But as I think it was Tony who said in the 1930s, you know, well, you can peel an onion leaf by leaf, but you can't skin a live tiger claw by claw. And capitalism is not an onion. <laughs> capitalism is more like a man-eating tiger. And therefore, we have to draw the necessary conclusions from this analysis itself. But of course, they, they fear this. They fear it. Of course, what we have to do is to draw out the lessons. I mean, I was thinking, what would Corbyn have done if he had come to power in, 19, in 2019? He would have tinkered around the edges, but all hell would have broken loose because the ruling class would have sabotaged it. Look what he did with Liz Truss. And she was a Tory. Good God. Look, within a few days, they'd brought the government down on the basis of hiking up interest rates. A run on the pound, that clearly would have happened under Corbyn. But what were you going to do? Mobilize the working class to crush capitalism? I don't think so. It'll be a question of capitulation because they don't know anything else. Compromise, try and get around it and so on. We have to open our eyes as to what the realities are in relation to reformism and what is required that is in a revolutionary party. But I say also, given the experience of the last period, Socialism as a term has been more 
devalued because of this. Years and years of people, if you like, welfare capitalism, that's what it's been identified as. Well, even Starmer calls himself a socialist, brothers and sisters. So if you think that, it gives you an idea how demeaning this, this, this word has become. And obviously, we understood, given this, uh, the Fraser Institute poll, where young people are, are looking beyond that, beyond the idea of milk and water socialism, welfare capitalism, they want a fundamental change in society. That's why they've looked towards communism in order to do it. That's the, that's the nitty gritty of, of what you're talking about. And they, I believe, are absolutely correct. And we should draw the necessary conclusions as well. We should not be behind. We should be in advance of what people are thinking, and young people in particular, if we're going to succeed. And we have to go back and think in the same way that Marx and Engels, you know, when they came into political activity, they didn't call themselves socialists because the socialists at that time were utopians, were muddled people. And they accepted the idea of they decided to call themselves communists. You know, that's why we don't have the socialist manifesto. We have the communist manifesto. That is the founding document of our organization. In the same way at Lenin in 1917, when he came back from exile, drew the conclusion that because of the betrayal of the social democrats in 1914, we should cast off the dirty soil of the social democracy and put the clean linen on, the clean linen of communism, in order to differentiate themselves from the, uh, the betrayals of the past. And I believe that we also should do the same. We should draw the lessons. In other words, and what we are proposing and what we're going to do is that we think that socialist appeal as a title has had its day. Yeah. <laughs> and... And from January of next year, it will be called the Communist. Then <laughs> 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 we're looking at. Okay, I can see you're keen about that one. <laughs> well, let's go a step further than that. In Britain at the present time, there is an organization called the Communist Party of Britain. It is, it, it is, it is the leftovers of the old Communist Party. Uh, it's very small, but as far as we're concerned, it's not the size that, that matters. It's the fact they're not communists that matters. <laughs> they are reformists. They are left reformists at best. Their program is little different from the labor lefts and the trade union lefts. They've devalued the whole basis of what communism is. And therefore, we think that we should step up 
and we should fly the fag of communism in Britain. That's the whole point. And as a result, we believe now, given the objective situation opening up in Britain, given the potential, as I outlined it earlier on, we need to, if you like, boldly stand out much, much more than ever before. And we believe that we should organize a Congress next year, a founding Congress of a new political party called the Revolutionary Communist Party. Part you've been waiting for. <laughs> we are the target of uh, achieving 1,000 members of the organization by the end of this year. And uh, after the success, I would say, of the um, Are You a Communist campaign in particular, and the audacity of the comrades themselves, and the potential that exists out there, well, Earlier on this week, I was given a figure, beginning of this week. And the, the early figure, so I'll give you the latest one in a minute, the earlier figure was 1,087. <laughs> on, on Friday... I was told that it was 1,093, and today it is 1,101. I would say, comrades, this is the beginning. And the reason is that we're going to step up, because we have to step up. If we've got 1,100 members now, then next May, we should have 1,500. That's the target. And by the end of the year, 2,000 members. That's what we have to do. And given the situation, we'll see how it goes, but there's no reason why we can't put on the agenda the idea of 5,000 members within the next couple of years. <laughs> I 
And as you know, Gormage, it's a stepping stone to 10,000 members. Let's not get swelled heads over it, but by Christ, it's there for the taking if we are prepared to step up. That's the whole idea behind it. And these initiatives, they're not uh, there as cosmetics. These are the means by which we achieve these particular objectives. If there's what, 29% of young people in Britain who look into communism, that's 4.5 million people. Surely we can tap into that. And therefore, this is obviously not going to be the straight line, clearly, up, up and away. But look, events change very quickly. The movement changes very quickly under these circumstances. Look at what happened with the Bolshevik Party. In February 1917, they had 8,000 members. By October, they had 400,000 members. They had conquered the Soviets and conquered the majority of the working class. That was under exceptional circumstances because of the war conditions, which brought down all the illusions, if you like, and they were able to build upon it. So our, our development is clearly going to be more protracted. That's clear. But there are occasions where revolution itself produces a great impetus for the growth of the organization. Take the example in Spain of the Poom in 1936. The Poom were the party of Marxist unification. It was a semi-revolutionary organization. It wasn't fully Marxist, semi-revolutionary. Yet it had 2,000 members in July 1936. Within a matter of weeks, it grew to 40 and 50,000 members under the heat of the revolution. That shows you the dynamic potential that exists at that time and will, in my opinion, develop in the future. We should look and think big, not get swelled head, but think of the reality, think of how we can measure up to the possibilities that exist. Of course, our point of reference is the development of the British Revolution and the World Revolution. We must be in sync with that particular uh, develop, development. That's why we stand on the shoulders of the Bolshevik party. We stand on the shoulders of the greatest revolutionary party in history that led the working class to power. And what we need, comrades, is for us individually to look at ourselves and to pledge ourselves to the coming communist revolution in Britain and internationally. It's there for the taking if we are prepared to do the work which is necessary. And therefore we need to Prepare ourselves politically, theoretically. We have to train and educate our comrades. Theory is the basis of our tendency, that's clearly. But we will not take the line of least resistance. If there are obstacles put in our way, and they will be, we'll overcome them. When the class struggle moves, we will intervene. And when the hour for decisive action comes, we will take it. In other words, we will be honor the revolutionary spirit on which we're building this particular tendency. What we want is audacity, revolutionary audacity, in order to build such an organization which is, is, which is there, possible, providing we shape up ourselves. We need to toughen up. Yes, it's going to be hard. We have to understand it's self-sacrifice that is needed. But we also understand the potential. I'd like to quote, Leon Trotsky's advice to the Young Communist Party in 1925, where he said, the contradictions undermining British society, this is 12 months before the general strike, by the way, remember, 
the contradictions undermining British society will inevitably intensify, as they will for us. We do not intend to predict the exact tempo of this process, but it will be measured in terms of years, or in terms of five years at most, certainly not in decades. This general prospect requires us to ask above all the question, will a communist party be built in Britain in time with the strength and the links with the masses to be able to draw at the right moment all the necessary conclusions from the sharpening crisis? In this question, he says, in this, sorry, in, 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 sorry, it is in this question that the fate of Britain remains today. And that is the case as far as we are concerned. Comrades, we are at the crossroads. The crossroads of history. We have to step up and understand the tasks on our shoulders. The fate of the revolution rests with us. And if we do our job properly, we can create a mass communist party in Britain and internationally to prepare the way for the coming to power of the working class and the establishment of a communist Britain and a communist world. That's our victory. That's what our aim is. So that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thanks very much to our listeners for tuning in. If you're feeling inspired by Rob's speech and you want to get straight to work building the new revolutionary communist party here in Britain, then you need to get in touch with us straight away and help us build the forces of communism. As Rob said, we currently have over 100 branches across Britain, from Cardiff to Norwich, from Glasgow to Cornwall. But the real work has only just started. We need to have well-trained communists in every single workplace, college, school and university across the country. So if you're serious about getting organised to overthrow capitalism, then once again get in touch with us. Head to the link in the show notes of this podcast to fill in our application form. And we'll be in touch with you as soon as possible. I think we'll leave it there for this week's episode. Thanks very much once again for tuning in and make sure you stay tuned for weekly episodes covering Marxist theory, revolutionary history and current events brought to you by Marxist Voice, the podcast of the IMT in Britain.